I think I'm on. Does that sound on? That's close enough. Hey, thanks for having me back. I, I look surprised because that doesn't usually happen. I get invited once, lots of places. Twice is always a treat. <laughs> now I don't know what to do. I, uh, all right, we'll do this, which may happen. I have, the, I have a, this memory issue. Um, anybody else over 50? Yeah. I think I'm over 50. I don't remember. But, um, yeah, it's, man, it's getting bad. So I, I know I want to start with, I'm going to start with the very last verse in a passage we're going to read here in a few minutes. And this is that verse. It goes like this. For those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. This is Jesus speaking. And, um, and it seems to be a, a sort of a theme Jesus has. Not necessarily just this sentence, but this way of saying things that makes the world seem a little bit off kilter. That's not how I experience the world. The last or first, the first or... That's not how I experience the world. But somehow, in the three years he lives, and then since then, he's trying to help us sort of grasp this concept. It's a big concept. Uh, I think it was about a year and a half ago, I was at a conference in Chicago. And I'd gone with my friend. I co-pastor a church with a friend of mine named Kathy Escobar. And Kathy and I started um, what's called The Refuge. We, we function a little bit more like a mission center maybe than a typical church. We have a, our community um, is pretty, very diverse theologically, uh, especially economically, socioeconomically, some racial diversity. Um, and she and I were at a conference in Chicago talking about friendship. And, and I'll just be honest with you, this I have to leave this room. Um, it wasn't the best conference I've ever gone to. Like, it was fine, but it was kind of tedious, and it was in Chicago, and I was tired. So I'm saying all that to preface that I will own my part of the next part of the story is I was in a bad mood. So I'm, I'm leaving Chicago at 6 o'clock Sunday morning. And um, so that already, you can have some sympathy. All right, so if you're familiar with airports, you, you know the, the, the drill is you get into a line. Everywhere you go, you get into a line to get, go get your ticket, and then you get into a line to go through security. And I'm very familiar with lines. You're familiar with lines. We all know how lines work. And if you haven't been for a while, the security lines are a queue that zigzags back and forth. And they're fairly narrow, you know, not much wider than just what you've got in your own row there. So I'm in this line, and it's, everybody's trying to catch that first flight out. It's a fairly, fairly long line, and behind me there is a man that is not from this part of the world. He's from the eastern part of the world. That's all I know. It's very clearly he's, by the language he's speaking, which I don't understand, but it's, it's clearly he's, he's from eastern origin with his family. So I'm in my bad mood. I can't have my coffee because you can't have coffee to get to the other side, or they'll take it away from you, blah, blah, blah. So anyhow, so I'm in, I'm in this line. And as I'm in this line, working my, inching my way forward, I'm, I've made eye contact with the family in front of me who has a, um, a special needs child. He's about 10 years old, and he is not having a good morning, which means they are having an especially bad morning. And it's taking both of them to sort of wrestle him, and I'm feeling for them. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of hurting for them, and, and I'm trying to, you know, send them love with my eyes. I don't know what else I can do. So, <laughs> and so here we are, so we're walking in line. And I notice my shoes untied, not a big deal. So I, I, like you, you know, I pause to tie my shoe. And as I stoop down, 
the man, not from this part of the world, views that as an opportunity to gain one place in line. All right? So, yeah, yeah. So I bend over, he whips in front of me. But he ditches his family, all right? So now, he's in front of me, I'm here, and his family's behind me, but he continues to have conversation with them. I'm already in a bad mood. This is not helping. And so, oh no, it's going to get better. So now, we are coming to where we have to make a 90-degree turn. And as we begin to make the 90-degree turn, as all polite people in America do, I drive on the left, in line. And in this line, he then sees that there is, in this family in front of me, I've already explained their situation, he once again wants to gain advantage. And he takes the inside curve on this 90-degree turn. <laughs> now, not only does he do that, but as he reaches, let's say this is the end of the line, as he does that, he gives it the international sign for, come on, people, this is a good way to go, to his family behind me. The person in a bad mood trying to send love with his eyes to the people in front of me. And I, it was so surreal. I do not know what happened. But he cuts there. He calls them. And this is not cognitive. I didn't think through this. But all I did was, whoop, stop sign. <laughs> like, like, like my mom's, this was my mom's um, child restraint system in the 60s. You know, that's all it was. I was not going to let those people through. And I'm, and I'm making eye contact with the people in front. I'm getting lots of love back from them. Oh, yeah, thank you. I'm now heroic. Man, just talking about it, my heart's pounding a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, I am just... All right, I, I'll finish that story in just a second. Before I do that, I want to read another story. This one from Jesus. That... If you, I, maybe you've heard this. I don't know if you're familiar with church, if you've been around a lot. If you've been around a little bit, it's possible that you've heard this story before. But, but if you can, just pretend for a minute that you're in the story. You're, you're one of the characters in the story. And if you can, try to imagine as best you could what it would feel like to be in this story. All right? So this story is from the book called Matthew, that's one of the, what we call the Gospels, tells the story of Jesus' life from four different perspectives. And this one is Matthew, the first of those, and it's in chapter 20, and it begins like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. All right, so just so we can kind of get the context, this is guys who don't have a regular job. All right? You can put that into the context of our own experience. So let's say that somebody is unemployed and there is a place in Bergen Park where you can go. Maybe, maybe everybody gathers in the parking lot up at the King Supers. If you don't have a job, you're unemployed, but you're willing to work, you go up there and hang out. And everybody knows that if they want to go pick somebody up, maybe you need somebody to help, you know, weed the yard or help you move or do some chores, you can go there and get somebody. What, let, let's just pretend, what do you suppose somebody in that scenario might get paid per hour? What would be reasonable? What would be normal? $8 an hour, all right? So minimum, is that minimum wage? I make way less than minimum wage, so I don't even know. I dream of minimum wage. <laughs> so, 
So $8 an hour, that sounds reasonable to me. Let, let's be generous. Let's just say 10 bucks an hour. It makes the math easy, right? 10 bucks an hour. So somebody can go pick somebody up for 10 bucks an hour. All right, let's just say that's our situation here. And it's about, let's just say 7 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people um, standing around doing nothing. So they didn't get that first wave of hire. So now they're out there playing dominoes. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work at the vineyard. And at noon, and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. So he keeps going back, getting more workers every few hours. Right? At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again, and he saw more people standing around. And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one's hired us. So the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. They're going to quit at 6. He gets hired at 5. That evening, he told the foreman to call all the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. The guys who got hired at 5 o'clock, he's going to pay first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. Let's pause for a second. You got hired at 6.30. You've been working all day. You see some guy who got hired at 5 o'clock. He has barely put in an hour. And the boss hands him a check, and it blows your mind how much that, you, you can see the money passing. Like, that is a lot of money. He just got 80 bucks, and he's only been there one hour. Now, what are you thinking? <laughs> Ka-ching! <laughs> this guy is paying $80 an hour. That's what you're beginning to think. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and you've paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is that against the law for me to do what I want to do with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? And then Jesus says this what feels like this random statement. Those who are last now will be first then. Those who are first will be last. Now, if we're feeling in this story, if we're pretending to be that first worker, if we're pretending that we are like myself in, that, in, in the line at the airport, we believe something has been triggered, that, that anxiety, the tightness in our chest, it feels like injustice. That's what that feels like. But this isn't about injustice. I'll give you an example. Let's say, uh, let's say you're at a restaurant, okay? And you're there, and you're there with the family, and you've ordered. You're all done, and the bill comes. And you notice that the waiter has left off two of the main courses by accident, and has only charged you for two main courses instead of four main courses. You're there eating with your family. 
And so you, you flag him down and say, hey, listen, you, you forgot to charge me for, for two of the, the main dishes. He goes, oh, man, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. Let me go get the manager. So he goes and gets the manager. manager comes over and goes, I apologize. But you know what? We stand by our, by our ticket. So you just need to pay for two. Nice, right? What do you do at that point? Tip. Yeah, tip. Yeah, yeah. You give a good tip. And if you're a smart waiter, you might occasionally leave. No, anyhow. Um, look, so you tip good. Anybody protesting? Any protests going on? All right. So same scenario. You're there eating. The bill comes, and you notice that they have charged you for two extra drinks. All right, just two extra sodas. All right, not two extra meals, just two extra sodas. Bring the waiter over, say, hey, look, you charged me a little bit too much here. I, we, only, we, didn't, we had water, because as I always tell my children, I'll just be having water. What will you just be having? And, um, <laughs> and, he says, um, and he says, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Let me go get the manager. You go get the manager, and the manager says the same exact thing to you. Well, I'm so sorry, but we stand by our ticket. And what it says is what you pay. Now how you feeling? Huh? 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 Why, was it, why wasn't it a justice issue before? You see, it, it feels like it's injustice when it works against you. That feels like injustice. You see, the guy who's there at 5 o'clock getting paid, if you're the guy at 5 o'clock getting paid, you're in a great mood, but you have no concept of injustice in this whole concept. You only feel gratitude. But if you feel like somehow the system has worked against you, that feels like injustice. The issue in the story isn't about justice. The issue in the story is about assumptions. It's about assumptions. There was a clear deal sort of made. But there at the end, when he saw somebody getting paid more, he made the assumption that what would happen to him? He would get paid more. Here's my theory about life, spirituality, and some other areas we're going to talk about. Is that a lot of our pain is not about an injustice, but about an assumption. An assumption we had that, in fact, wasn't accurate. I'll give you an example. In our culture, in my world, to make this story work, to make this story work, to make this story feel what you felt, which in fact is what Jesus intended for you to feel, by the way. That's why he told the story like that. He would have told it in a different way if it were contemporary to us. But in, in, in that moment, the people listening to this story, they're feeling all kinds of stuff. But for that story to work, we have to make an assumption. And the assumption is that work is bad. I, um, I grew up in a home with a, a stepdad who got married at, he married for the first time at 41, um, had never been around kids. I was six when he came into our family. And he, in fairness to him, had a really rough childhood and a fairly rough early adulthood. He was a, a fighter pilot at the age of 19 in World War II. So looking back, I can give him a lot of grace, but his method of punishment was pretty archaic and 
If I were to go into all kinds of details, you would describe it as quite cruel. But one of the punishments that happened in our home had to do with work. If you got caught for almost any infraction, your weekend was done. And, and it seemed like, is, not that, of course, this is my memory, there was an infraction every week of some form. <laughs> and, and I know in my inflated childhood imagination, I worked, you know, 10 times harder than I probably actually did. But as I remember it, work was often the punishment. And an entire weekend of work was the punishment for some pretty slight infractions. Work sort of feels that way to me. Can feel that way. Fast forward to adulthood. And in adulthood, I've struggled with depression. I don't know if, you, if you've never struggled with depression, then you just have to take my word for what it can feel like for some people who have that. There are days where I can, I can sit in a dark basement for an entire day. And in that day, I'll do no work. At the end of that day, that does not feel like life. That doesn't feel like something good has happened. I haven't had to work all day. I've hidden. There have been days where I've had a, a job, I've had a project that I've been dreading and putting off. You ever had one of those? Some big yard thing, some whatever it is. You, you just dread it. You've put it off, but finally you can't put it off anymore. And it takes you all day, all day to get this project done. And at the end of the day, you've worked, you're dead tired and you're all done. Let me ask you, how do you feel at the end of that day? See, who's to say that in this story, see, the story works because of our assumptions. Who's to say that the landowner did not know more about life than the worker did? Which is better, to have worked all day, to know you have supported your family? All day that you're there working, you have at least the joy of being physically active and knowing that you're providing for your family. Whereas if you are stuck in the parking lot at King Supers all day, you have nothing but anxiety. You are, this, is not a, this is not a world in which there's a lot of social services available to you. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't eat, you starve. And if you're a man, you are the sole, sole provider of food for your family. And you're there all day hoping and hoping and hoping somebody will come. And many days have passed and nobody came and hired you. But at least on this day, you got to be outside all day. Now, once during that day, did you have to worry, is anybody going to hire me today? See, it works because we have this assumption. Let me ask you if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible story, which came first? What we call the fall, which is this, this big event where people sinned and rebelled, or work? Which came first? Work came first. Long before there was a, a world that had gone haywire, a world that wasn't working the way it was intended, there was something to do. There was a garden to tend. There was a world to take care of. Work is not a, a punishment. Work is, is part of what makes life good. 
But after this crazy thing where people decided to live independently of God, work, something else happened. A long day of work is often way better than no day. There, there, there's others. You, you, you see, the only way to, to sort of counteract some of this, the only way to, to grasp what it means to be last and first is to begin to rethink some of our theology. A theology around work, a theology around maybe abundance. I, um, I'll own that I, I prefer ease. I prefer things to go nicely. I, I prefer that, that life would always work. Today's Father's Day, so let me ask you a question. If you're a father and you're a person who is oriented towards being a Christ follower, for your children, what is your greatest desire? One of your greatest desires. You don't have to be the greatest, but tell me a, a desire that is really high for you as a father and as a Christ follower. What do you want for your kids? You want them to have faith? Okay. What else? Anything else? Meaningful work, ambition. ambition, okay. Better life than mine. Better life than yours, okay. Be the best role model. Okay, be a role model. How many of you would like this? How many of you would say that this would somewhere along the line you've prayed this, dear God, I want my children to know you in an intimate way, something like that. Have you ever prayed something like that? Every day. Every day. Okay, let me ask you a question. How many of you have come to know God in an intimate way outside of conflict, pain, heartache, or trouble? Most of us, as part of our spiritual journey, have found intersections with God and His grace and His love and His provision for us, not when just things were going well, which can happen, but often it has been when life was hard and the wheels came off and it was difficult. So in fact, when I pray, God, I want my kids to know you intimately, I believe there are moments I'm praying at that exact moment, God, do not give them an easy life. Do not make everything go smooth for them. But bring into their life opportunities where their only hope is to trust you. That's not how I see the world. That is a world that is totally different. Totally upside down. We have, um, well, we have lots of theology. I, okay, I want to I ask us a couple things now. All right. So as I wanna, we're thinking about assumptions. So I'm going to ask us some, some I, I want you to think about some assumptions we have about some certain areas of life. Some assumptions about how it's supposed to work. That's what that means. That's what an assumption, that's what we're talking about here. This is how it's supposed to go. They can be characters. It doesn't, you don't have to own the assumption. You don't, I'm not saying that this is your assumption, but generally out there, all right? 
So let's, let's look at a couple areas of life. What are some assumptions we have about church? Just general assumptions we have about church. We'll get out on time. No pressure. I feel no pressure. And I appreciate the subtlety of the way you went. That was, that, was, that was smooth. That was very smooth. All right. We have reasonable or not. Isn't that interesting? We have the assumption every week. How often does it happen? Doesn't matter. All right. Not my church. All right. So that's okay. We'll get out on time. It'll be scheduled. What else? We're going to sing. What else? We're going to learn more about Jesus. You're supposed to give. Somebody else, what did you say? Good people go to church. Yes. Friendliness. Friendliness. You walked in today with a whole set of ex- expectations and assumptions. All right? Now listen, it doesn't mean an assumption is bad. That doesn't mean at all. What it means is just like back to my story. So let's go back to my story. I'm in line. I am, I am, I am, I am in the red zone. My, I've got low blood pressure. Not today. I am pink. What is it? It's only about assumptions. And my assumption is about this man. And what is my assumption about him? He's a jerk. He's rude. He's breaking what? He's breaking the rules. But is that true? I don't know his world. But he seemed like a pretty friendly, nice guy, to be honest with you. He was smiling. I, he wasn't, it didn't seem like he had any malice towards me. I don't know this. I don't know where he's from. But if I were to guess looking back on it when I got on the plane and calmed down. My hunch is that he lives in a world that has a different rule about lines. They have a more efficient model. (laughs) That if somebody's pokey, you just pass. It's no big deal. The reality is, what am I getting upset? How much faster was he going to get to his destination than I'm going to get to my destination? If I had thought about it, I would have begun to time the 15 seconds I lost by letting him get two ahead. But it was, it was, the anxiety was, he's breaking a rule. But then I started thinking about it. Holy cow. That's not a rule. Here is an interesting way to begin to read the life of Jesus. Jesus is all the time getting in trouble. All the time. And why does he get in trouble? Because they think he's breaking the rules, but he's not breaking the rules. They're making up rules where rules don't exist. That's part of this whole spiritual journey, is beginning to try to break rules that, in fact, are not rules. Rules are fine. The ones that are true, the ones that, are, that come sort of from the heart of God. But the ones we make up, not such a good idea. Church is this marvelous experience that we have. But my experience has been that most people's pain with church has to do with rules that are broken that really weren't rules at all. Assumptions like churches have to grow. 
Churches have to meet weekly. None of that's bad. Growing churches is fantastic. Meeting weekly is a great idea, but there's no rule about that. In other words, there are a lot of expressions of what church can look like. And when we impose rules on it, we begin to experience an anxiety that maybe doesn't have to exist. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stress you a little bit. Possibly, I shouldn't say, I don't know if I'm going to stress you, but it, it, it would seem reasonable because in my own life, I've experienced a lot of stress about this. So I co-pastor with a very, very good friend of mine. So we began this church eight years ago. And what's happened in the eight years since we've been pastoring together is the world and theology and those things around us have begun to change. It's not the same world it was eight years ago. Quite honestly, I haven't changed that much. I was a pretty, I'm a, I, 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 lean, I, I say I stand right, lean left. Maybe that's how you could describe me in lots of scenarios. I tend to be, a, a, inside at least, a, a semi, I don't even know what the words are, conservative, evangelical. I don't know if those words mean much to you. Evangelical is just a, a theological construct that seems to, I sort of resonate with. My friend, who began somewhat kind of on the same page as me eight years ago, over eight years has transitioned. And she would say she's probably not all that evangelical anymore. So now we're co-pastoring a church together. One, my assumption is, you can't change your theology on me, all right? And there's, there's all kinds of, throughout, the, throughout history, there have been sort of flashpoints of church life together. One of the flashpoints currently has to do with gay marriage. I will say that my progressive friends, progressive is another way of viewing some of perhaps other people's theology that's a little different than mine, are devout Christ followers, love the Bible, are good, better students of the Bible than I am. But the reality is we see some things very differently, very differently. And I can't tell you the stress this has caused me. Now, there's a whole other, I, I know there's, there's maybe in your head all kinds, there's lots of parts of the Bible that, you, you know, there's a lot of whatabouts or what ifs. I understand that. But just suspend those for a moment. The assumption that when we come together to worship, that we're all going to sort of look the same, think the same, believe the same, is actually not such a great idea. Uniformity is always the enemy of unity. You can't have unity if you have uniformity. Uniformity just means we're all the same. Unity means we're very different, but we love and worship a God together. And it's hard. Uniformity, piece of cake. Uniformity, all it takes is power, control. That's all that takes to, to exercise uniformity. But to exercise unity, holy cow. My assumption was that I would have an easy church life. And it hasn't turned out that way at all. We can go on down the, the list. There's others. I think about my assumptions about marriage. I've been married 
<laughs> what is this year? 14? <laughs> 33 years. In a row. <laughs> I think my parents were married that long, but to all kinds of different people. I don't know. But, um, so that... I had this assumption about marriage that what will make marriage work is to make sure you choose the right person. If you choose the right person, it should work. <laughs> Next answer. I, I think I chose the right person. But what I didn't realize, and I did not have this assumption, that for marriage to work from my end is 100% my responsibility, regardless of who I married. And the risk I take on their side is 100%, if they want to stay married to me or not, not much I can do about that. It's 100% up to me to stay married to this person as best I can. And 100%, and here's the, here's the assumption, I didn't realize after 33 years we'd still be working this hard. We're still working really hard at this. We love each other. We're crazy about each other. 80% of the time. 10% <laughs> neutral zone. Well, you get the rest. Here's what I think about this passage. There's lots of ways to think about it. There, there's a lot of information. Jesus, Jesus packs in these things he calls parables information and nutrition for us spiritually that we're not going to unpack in one, one little moment. But kind of in wrapping up, I want to tell you one that's, that I think about a lot. And it goes back to my idea of how life is supposed to work, that when you do the right things, that it always kind of works out towards smoothness. And what's really amazing, even after, you know, I'm 53 years old now, what's really amazing is every time there is a rough transition, whether it's in my relationship with my friend Kathy, or in my marriage, or in my church, every time there is this transition, I act surprised. Like, this is unbelievable. How can I still be taken aback? And I notice that my assumption is that life is going to be smooth, interrupted by periods of discomfort. And I'm trying to change how I think. And you know what I'm trying to get my head around? That life is filled with mostly discomfort and discombobulation and things not working. And it is interrupted briefly by moments of where things will work right. The transition is actually when things are going well. That's the transition. The transition is not when things are going crazy and you're busier than you've ever been. How many times have you said, I, I never thought I'd be this busy? You get retired. Now I'm busier than I've ever was. I've got a grandbaby. I never thought I was going to be this much busier. Do you see what I'm saying? It's because of an assumption. If I can change that assumption, that the first will be last, the last will be first, that nothing from the lens of God looks the way it looks naturally to me. But he invites me into a life that is way better than the life I'd have had on my own. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for my friends up here. Thank you for the transitions you're putting them through. And thank you for the life you call them to. Lord, whatever it means for me and for, for them to be last, help us grasp that. That you see the world completely different than I see it. We receive your grace.
We thank you for the abundance you give, not in the things that we own, but in the life that we have. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.